Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. I, it is my privilege to introduce Mark Wilton. So here's my little intro. Yeah, come up, Mark. Um, Mark Wilton is a science coordinator. That means he's the head of science department in Charlton Christian School. He's been married to Anne for 20 years. He's got three kids, Josh, Elise and Sahara. Yes. And in his spare time, he likes to ride bikes and be in the garden like Mark's there. And he told me this, if he wasn't a teacher, he would open and own a bike shop. So there you go. Thanks, Mark. So what we're going to do is Mark's going to share for 10 minutes. I've just asked him to share his testimony. And then after 10 minutes, I'm going to come up and interview him and we'll wrap up the um, service. Thanks, Mark. Hi. Um, This is my story about um, finding faith, losing faith, and the Lord bring me back into relationship with him. Um, I want to paint a picture, though, of of where I came from. Um, I was uh, born, obviously, to to a mum and dad. My dad was a soldier. My mum was a nurse. And... um, Life seemed to be going pretty good for a little four-year-old, but uh, between them, they'd, you know, really had some rough, rough times. Split up, and uh, my mum, my sister, who was only six months old, and I moved back to the east coast of Australia. And we we moved in with my nan and pop. My nan and pop lived in Belmont, and um, they were pretty incredible people. Now, I didn't know this as a little four-year-old, but my mum actually needed some brain surgery as well, so... For three years after surgery, she recovered, and uh, we lived with my nan and pop, and um, they were just incredible, uh, yeah, just amazing. My pop in particular became a father figure to me. Um, we moved from there. My mum um, couldn't work because of the, the injury and uh, her recovery, and so she couldn't work as a nurse. She got a placement in a housing commission house in Windale, and so we moved from a nice safe place in Belmont to the most interesting place you could probably move to. We moved to a place where there were 60 um, townhouses in, a, in the suburb of Windale, surrounded by Windale. It was a brand new area, lots and lots and lots of kids, lots of kids from broken homes. And so up to the age of 11 and a half, um, well, I experienced and saw some pretty tragic things. Thankfully, my mum had started a relationship with a bloke uh, who I called Dad who I wish was my father. He's just a brilliant, brilliant man. And he would take us out of Windale for the weekends. He was in spearfishing comps, and we'd go each weekend somewhere in New South Wales on the coast um, to spearfishing comps. Or if it, wasn't, if it was in winter and there was no comp, we'd go camping somewhere. So he took me away from the potential stuff that was there, heaps of bad stuff. You know, it's interesting. My first Christian influence was a dude from, I think it was Faith Chapel at Gateshead, this guy would come around in the afternoons after school, pick us up and take us over. They would play games, have some tucker. He was a Sri Lankan dude and his name was Rohan. Um, man, what, a, what an amazing fella. He, was, he talked to us about the Lord and it was brilliant. I had never experienced that. We moved because it was a rough area. Mum thought, oh, we need a change. We moved from there to another housing area, housing commission area in Belmont North called Bograt City by those that live there. Um, again, about 60 to 70 housing commission houses, and uh, it wasn't as rough as Windale, but it was still pretty, yeah, pretty educational. Um, I had guys my age 
at 12 and 13 who were dealers, um, bloke up the road, two doors up and three doors down, and it was just, wow, it was interesting. But four doors down, there was a family who the mum and dad were Christians, and anyway, there'd been this thing called Boys Brigade that started at Belmont Baptist Church, and uh, I was into motorbikes, and anyway, these dudes, it was a group of officers who were about 25 to 30 with all their young families, you know, growing up and whatever, they banded together and started this group for guys, for boys. And so these officers, about five of them, were just instrumental in, in bringing the gospel to me, but also in being mentors and father figures, and they were incredible, absolutely amazing. I don't know if I owe my life to them, but uh, yeah, I owe a lot to them. So I um, go through that, that was really, really cool, um, all, the t- all the while wondering about my dad, not really having any contact with my dad. Uh, my father had been a nice fellow, but obviously war stuff or whatever the army affects people. And he was damaged, um, incredibly damaged. My mum was a great lady. She just held the family together incredibly. And my, her boyfriend, her husband now, was a good, good man. But he didn't replace my dad. And so went through school. Um, and I was riding my bike um, at this stage. I loved doing stuff really, really extreme. So by year 11, I was spending four hours between four and eight in the morning training, racing, riding, doing all that sort of stuff. Wanting to turn pro, didn't do that because in the holidays, I followed my sister to youth group and I became a Christian about a month into university uh, doing science at uni. And that was pretty cool. I had these awesome mates around me who really encouraged me, who, who really showed me what it meant to be a young Christian bloke. Um, and they were just incredible. Uni was great, really enjoyed my course. But as a young bloke, I just read and read and read the scriptures, but I got pretty cocky. And there was this lecturer who um, I'd seen in some mass lectures, and he was from the, from the pulpit, from the, uh, where, he, where he spoke from, really gave it to Christians, really, really hammered them. It was amazing, it was pretty painful. Well, he had a, a course offered for, I think it was just a semester, and it was in the sociology. And I was science, but I thought, I'll try this. And my kind of goal was, in a naive way, young, not knowing much way, my goal was to really reach out to this bloke and try and convert him. Worst decision. He, for six, four months or so, just drilled me with questions, everyone with questions. And his questions became my questions, and I could not answer them. I tried and tried and tried, and this is before the internet where you can find lots of stuff. His questions became my doubts, and I got to a point where my faith just became completely shipwrecked. I lost it completely. Now, as a scientist, or a a training scientist, and a biologist, I got to a point where I thought, hang on, if, if this Christian stuff is not real, and there's no God, then we're in a pretty precarious place, a pretty scary place. As a thinker, I don't know if it's because of my dad's genetic makeup or I've got no idea or the experience of, of um, you know, all the stuff that I'd seen growing up and whatever, all the, the poverty and all those sorts of things. But I, I took my, my atheism to a really negative place really, really quickly. I, uh, instead of you know, sort of thinking that, okay, if there's no God, then I can do whatever I want and have fun. For me, it was no. If there's no God, there's absolutely no purpose in life apart from to live, have kids, reproduce fertile offspring, and die. 
pretty much your ultimate purpose in life is to be nutrients for an organism or you know, plant compost. That was it. And I wanted to be a teacher. At the time, I was thinking, wow, I could be a teacher. But if I was a teacher, every day that I taught, all that knowledge that was going into kids' minds, if those kids died at 74 or 82 or whatever it was, pretty much what I've done is a waste of time. Everything a waste. So I was contemplating, thinking, wow, okay, there's no purpose in life. There are no fixed morals. I can do what I want. And as a young fella who loved riding motorbikes, I would jump on my motorbike and just ride and ride and ride. I'd go to places and, and really think about this lack of purpose in life. I didn't want to commit suicide, but I knew that would be a short way of getting rid of all this angst and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't want to do that because my mum loved me and cared for me. And I had young kids at a youth group that I've been helping run who really relied on me. The only person I told was my mum, because I trusted her, and the pastor at the church. My two best buddies who didn't question things, I didn't, didn't tell them, because I didn't want them to, to question doubt like I did. I didn't want them to go through what I was going through, because it was hell, absolute hell. I was contemplating going to Nimbin, getting stoned out of my brain for the rest of my life, so I wouldn't actually think about the questions. Contemplating joining a, because I like bikes, just going and joining a, um, you know, one of the, the gangs, bike gangs, where I could do what I want, not have to work, get into the roids, do weights, get big, be scary, like some blokes want to be, and that was sort of my bent at the time. It was weird. No, what I did was I actually decided, I'm going to have a look at this once and for all real deep. So I spent ages and ages and ages, months, almost a year, reading and reading and reading and, and answering my questions. I had around about 140-odd questions. Um, and what happened was as I found answers, I ticked that question off, done. And there had to be solid answers because I couldn't. I couldn't go back to a faith that was blind. I had to make sure that my faith, what I, what I trusted in, trusting in the Lord, that it was legit, that it, was, that it could actually withstand the test of time and questions. So as I answered a question, and there was lots and lots of reading in this, I took it off. Now, I came across a really, really cool book. I don't know if you've heard of John Smith, uh, The God Squad. Yeah, I was amazed. I, um, I was at a bloke called Kev's. Um, Kevin Morgan, I don't know if anyone knows or remembers Kevin Morgan, but um, he's a really, really good Christian man. He had this amazing book collection. And uh, I was over there visiting um, a young fellow that we put into his house for him to look after. And I looked at this book, and John Smith was the author, and it was On the Side of the Angels. And I was thinking, wow, Hell's Angels, I'm going to read this. And so I'm reading it, and you know what I discovered? John Smith went through the same experience that I did. I thought I was alone. I absolutely thought there was no one on the earth had gone through this. Like, how stupid and how naive. But I, I thought that no one had experienced what I was going through. But as I read John's book, I thought, whoa, this guy went through, has gone through the same thing, and he's come through it. And he had heaps of book references that I could read. And so I, <laughs> it cost me a bit of money, but I ended up buying those books. Um, Kurung, I think, was in Sydney at the time or somewhere. Um, I, I got heaps of books and read and read and read. And was blown away. Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, I'd never heard of him. I started reading these men's books and some of the ladies' books too and was blown away that people had been through the struggle and had come through the other side. So I got these answers to my questions and was blown away, blown away at the evidence to support a faith that I thought actually had no support absolutely blown away and I could come back to the Lord without taking a blind faith step okay I could trust the scriptures I could trust that Jesus was who he claimed to be 
I could trust that he died for me and loves me and loved me at the time. I had this analogy that I came up with, and I don't know if it was a scriptural-based thing, but it was interesting. My Christian life had been like this table, an amazing dining table with all your good buddies sitting around it, the nicest cutlery and plates and meal, the meal that you really, really like, and not everything perfect, but pretty close. And I'd given that up, not intentionally, but I'd given it up, and I was now under the table. And some of the food had fallen off the table onto the floor, and a little puppy had eaten that food that had fallen on the floor, and a crumb had fallen out of the side of the dog's mouth. And I picked up the crumb off the floor, looked at it, and that was a crumb that atheism offered me. And I so much wanted to get back to the table, back to a relationship with the Lord, and the stability and the love and the care and the purpose and the right and wrong, all those things that I once had. But at the time when I was going through that doubting time, I couldn't. I couldn't take that step up there because I knew it wouldn't last in my life and I wanted something that really, really held ground. Um, And that's pretty much the journey. I came back to the Lord um, in an incredible way. really, really blew me away, just the the purpose that I had. And now um, I've got things in my life that just blow me away. Um, I teach in a a school and have taught at Belmont and at Charlton for uh, 30-odd years and absolutely love each day that I can go to school And I can impact kids' lives and staff's lives too in a really, really positive way that I had no chance of doing. I don't know if I'd be dead now if I hadn't come back to the Lord. Probably a good chance of it. Um, I've got no idea. But my life is so very, very different. I'm super, super praiseworthy to him. He's just incredible and amazing. And I have an incredible wife and three kids that really bless my socks off too. Mm, Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I just want to add one more thing. My um, mum's boyfriend. It took them um, 17 years to get married because of the trauma that my mum went went through in her first marriage for her to trust another man. Um, And that man is just an incredible bloke, absolutely amazing bloke. He wasn't a Christian. She she wasn't a Christian. But at 25, when I turned 25... um, I told my mum what I'd gone through, but I didn't tell my dad because my dad, her boyfriend at the time, had actually started coming along to church. I didn't want to break him. I didn't want to really sow seeds of doubt into him. Um, When I was 25, they became Christians, both of them, and uh, they go to Triple C or 3CI, I'm not sure what it's called, um, Charlestown. So it's just incredible, the journey that it's been for me and for them too. And if, I don't know if you know anyone from, um, with single parents... Man, mums and dads that do that with, with, with kids are just incredible. I see it every day, and I just see the hearts of mums and dads for their kids and the love. And if you're in that situation or you know people in that situation, I've, I've just got incredible respect for mums and dads that do that because they've got it so hard. And, uh, yeah, just to love the way they do so sacrificially is incredible. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I heard Mark's testimony a while back and I just drilled him because I thought it's just so good to get into the head of an atheist and um, really understand different thinking and so thanks Mark, you're a miracle. (laughs) Um, So we've got a few questions here. When you're away from your faith, so you deconstructed and when you're away from your faith, what were some of the things that Christians did to help you and what were some of the things that they did to harm you? It wasn't the right thing to do. 
Um, so my mum wasn't a Christian, so the person I'll talk about is a pastor. Um, the pastor I spoke to was incredible, so patient with me. Um, he recognised the struggle that I was going through. He couldn't, he couldn't, um, he didn't have that struggle ever himself. But he recognised that, that he just could support me in prayer, talk to me, give me a call all the time, every couple of days he'd ring. He was amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, the thing is too, is that I wrote to Christian people, so I wrote to John Smith. Uh, I wrote to uh, Labrie in, uh, in Switzerland and got lots and lots of letters from, from them and lots of support. And it was Christian people that really had sort of struggled that actually helped me more, that had been through the same sort of thing. I actually didn't have too many Christians that were, that were um, terrible during the time. They were, um, everyone was super supportive. Remember, no one really knew what, was going, what I was going through. I just didn't let on, even to my best friends. So um, they just thought that I was quieter, that I maybe wasn't walking as strong with the Lord as what I had been in the past. I really didn't want them to go through the struggle they went through. I really didn't want them to experience what I was going through because I hated it, absolutely hated it. So, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, this, the, the um, fashionable thing at the moment is to deconstruct faith. Um, well, not fashionable, but, yeah. <laughs> Some people are doing it. Um, do you think as a church it's important to be aware of it and not be scared of it and be able to talk about it? So if, if young people are deconstructing, there's someone that they can talk to? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's one of the most dangerous things at the moment for, for young kids' faith, you know, young teenagers' faith. There's so much stuff out there online that can really impact them. Can I just get you to put up one of the quotes, the first quote, please, guys? I'll see which one comes up. Might not be there. But it's one of the dangerous things with kids these days is they, they see stuff that's online. They'll actually look at YouTube, for instance, and see an atheist that's, uh, that's speaking. And they sound so convincing. They sound incredible, incredibly convincing. Because of the, the way that things appear um, when they're searching, they tend not to see the Christian alternative as well. And it's not until they see that and, and give themselves time to look at that that they'll see there's actually an alternative. All those questions that are put out there by some skeptic that sounds really, really polished and they sound incredible, there is an alternative and they need to spend the time to do that. But the problem is, is most of the time they don't know about the alternative. Um, and there are plenty of books out there, there are plenty of sites they can look at, but they tend not to do it. Now, some people are looking for an out anyway. They, they're looking for a way to get away from some religious stuff that they're experiencing in life that they were brought up with. And so they'll go, you know, really hard to try and find something that'll actually destroy their faith. And it, in the end, it's really just something that, that kids need to be balanced in in their view. And people need to be balanced in their view. They need to look at both sides and devote the time. It's not a quick fix. It might take months, might even take years for people to actually put their faith back together, to reconstruct it. Um, but it's worth doing for them. But most people don't do it the right way. Um, they give up. It's like they start the renovation of a house, find that it's too hard and then quit. Um, a heap of people are doing that. And I'm seeing young guys and girls at school that are starting that journey and um, it's good to have someone there to encourage them. But there aren't too many people to encourage them. There really isn't. Why do, why do people deconstruct their faith? Oh, well, for me, I didn't have... For me, it was an accident. It was questions that came to me. And for a lot of people, it is that way. They'll be walking along in their, in their faith going real well and then something obviously... And we all deconstruct our faith to a point. But what happens is, is it might lead them further. 
and further. They'll, they'll find hurts there or unforgiveness or all these sorts of things. Or it might just be that the questions are too insurmountable and they can't find good answers. And so that starts them on the journey and then they find other people that have done it and think, oh, well, they've done it and they've turned out okay. The big picture is, though, is that the eternal picture isn't okay. And they'll get to a point where they won't get to a point where they'll have no faith in the Lord. And also, their, obviously, their eternal future is in jeopardy. And, um, yeah, that's one of the main reasons. Um, what, what would you say to um, anyone here who's in Christians who are facing hostility or, um, yeah, being persecuted for their faith? How should we respond and react? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, obviously love. But the thing is, is that there are some atheists. There's a spectrum of atheists out there. Um, some atheists hold a view. Don't be afraid of them. They hold a view that, that, okay, I've got no purpose in life and no fixed morals. That's okay, I can live with that. I'm just going to have the best life that I can. I'll treat people nicely and all those sorts of things. There's that side. Then you've got the extreme where I was, which is, um, well, hang on, there's no purpose in life. I can do what I want. Kill an ant, kill a human. There's no rules. Like, zero rules. And everyone else is in between. And... Um, they're generally on a search for truth, but some are, some atheists are not really keen at all. They can be militant atheists. I've got a, a uh, my dad's brother, his partner, he's gay. Uh, his partner is one of those men that just will not listen. And I think for him, I just don't say stuff. I'll pray, um, show loving actions towards him. But anything I say is just fool, adding fire, adding fire, or adding wood to the fire. It just really stirs him up. But there are others that you can be gentle with and loving and caring and just showing, you know, the Lord's heart to these people. Oh, we're going to finish in a minute. Have you got the PowerPoint, Ethan? <clears throat> yeah, there's the quote and then just go onto the... Um, onto clicks. the uh, sites if you can, the internet sites, the YouTube sites. So here's, here's one site. This is a good one. I think I can't read that. Is that... The case, oh, Cold Case Christianity. This is an amazing site. I don't know if you get a chance to look at this or have, have looked at this. This is incredible. Um, this fella, yeah, has lots and lots of videos that actually help kids or help anyone that's going through a struggle really develop good arguments, um, get good answers for their, for their faith you know, issues. Brilliant guy. What's the next one? Okay, so this is great as well. I think from memory... Cross-examined. Um, this fella is a, is a lecturer, an amazingly smart bloke, again answers questions. He'll actually have forums where people ask questions and he'll answer them. But he has videos to answer questions too. And the next one, please. Yep, this fella is incredible. Mike Winger, um, I only just sort of discovered him about a year, year and a half ago. Really, really great. He's smart, he's articulate. Um, he deals with really heavy questions, some incredible questions. For instance, the Old Testament talking about um, or not addressing um, you know, slavery in the way that our society wants it to address slavery. And so he'll deal with things like that and hundreds of other questions. And the next one, please, mate. All right, if you've heard of Josh McDowell, this is Sean McDowell, his son. Uh, really, really good bloke. Amazing fella for explaining the gospel clearly and evidences to support the gospel and to, to answer some of the skeptics' questions. He's incredible. And the next one, please. Yep, this lady is a real um, expert with deconstruction 
Um, she interviews lots of people that have deconstructed their faith and come out of it. People that have been skeptics and come out of uh, the skepticism. She is really, really good. She's brilliant, actually. Really, really good to listen to. And unbelievable. This is an interesting one. I think this guy's British. He, um, from memory, as you can see, the people that are down the bottom left-hand corner, from Michaela Peterson to, um, yeah, any of those uh, atheists, the other atheists, and there's one Christian there, I think. He interviews lots of people, atheists, Christians, skeptics, and he's great at, um, at really getting to the, the, you know, the heart of issues with them. He doesn't let them get off. If there's a question they've got and they're trying to weasel out of it, he'll push and push and push. He's really, really good. Very, very good. Okay, I think we're going to need to wrap up. I'm going to get the musos up. I'm going to get you to pray for people. I know it's been a different morning this morning. But the scripture says, be ready in season and out of season. And I want us to be equipped as a church. And I want you to be equipped as a church when the people in your world ask you a question, what do you say? And I want to tell you a couple of things. Jesus said, go into all the world. (laughs) He loves people. He loves the people in your world. He loves the people in your family, in your workplace, your neighbourhood that aren't walking with Christ. And the last thing he said to us was go into all the world and make disciples. And he didn't come for us. We're already here. And he did come for us. But he's saying, I want you to go after the one. And he said, it doesn't matter if you're not an evangelist. I want you to do the work of an evangelist. And I've got to say to you, church, don't let reaching the lost get cold in you. Because what does God care about? He cares about the lost. And I just want to say a couple of things. Go in your strength. Whatever your strength is, that is where your anointing is. You know, I'm not good at debating. I read this stuff because I want to have an answer. Even people in our church, even young people in our church who are deconstructing their faith, what do you say to them? And God has given us a brain. So I think we need to use our brain. But I'm a connector. I'm relational. So that's what I go with because that is where my anointing is. You know, one of my family friends rang up the other day. She was going through some stuff and she's talking. She's telling me all this stuff because I'm a pretty safe person. So she's telling me all this stuff. And in the back of my head, I can just hear my mum's words. That girl in our family, she's really against God. She's really against God. Anyway, in the phone call, at the end of the phone call, I say to her, can I pray for you? Because we have completely connected. And there's so much warmth in the room over the phone. And she said, Rosa, I'd love you to pray for me. So I pray for her over the phone. I thought, what was my mum going on about? <laughs> um, so that's often why, why I, I connect. I, I connect and then I say I can pray for you. So I don't know what you are. You might be as a, a, a person that serves or a person that makes cakes or a, um, a prayer, or a miracle person. I don't know where your anointing is, but you've got to go in your strength and you've got to stay encouraged. Jesus said this, the harvest is plentiful. I don't care what you think or what you say. He said, the harvest is ready. 
And the harvest is plentiful. This is what we have to do, church. You've got to go in your strength and you've got to step over the line. And exactly what Mark said, you've got to find the people of peace. Because remember Jesus, when he sent out disciples, he said, go into the homes. If they've got peace, if they say peace to you, stay there. But if they don't, shake the dust off your feet and walk off. So what he was saying is this, go to the people who are already soft. The Holy Spirit's already doing a work. They're the people of peace. And every single one of you have got people in your life that is a person of peace. God's already work, working on them. So they're the things that I wanted to share. This is what we're going to do. We're going to finish. But in a minute, I'm going to get some of you to stand up who you've got someone on your heart that you really love, that is a harvest to you. And you are going to stand up and I'm going to get Mark to pray for you. And we're going to trust and believe that God hears your prayer. Because let me tell you, you have to pray. Because prayer softens the atmosphere. That's why Mark has to pray for his brother-in-law or whatever. Because his heart is hard. How do you get a soft heart? The Holy Spirit works. My nan prayed for Mark and I for years. It took me three years to get saved. You have to pray. Don't get cold. Care about what God cares about. And I'm speaking to myself as well. There's so many things in life that gets distracted. They say the one thing in church that cools down the quickest is the love for the lost. So I want you to stand up. If you've got a harvest, if you're believing for someone, I want you to stand. Well done, first on their feet. It might only be one. I've got two nephews that I love so much. My daughter dedicated them to Christ when they were born. And God knows that. They're not going to go away from the Holy Spirit. So I want you in a minute to put your hand out that you harvest. And I'm going to pray as Mark prays. You're going to pray faith into these ones. Encouragement. It might take decades. It might be on their deathbed. I don't care. I don't care if they come in at the last minute. I've got to tell you, many, many people, many people on that last moment, the thief on the cross, come to Christ. Let's put our hands out and hold those people and you pray into faith. Lord, thank you. You've given us these people in our lives, Lord, and we, we lift them up. We really we have a heart for them. We know you have a heart for them. We know you love them. Lord, we ask that you speak into their lives through dreams, yes, through visions, yes, through people, yes, just through ex experiences, Lord, or through us if you need us to speak through. Lord, we ask that you just break away all the barriers, Lord, and, and just bring a miracle into their lives. Lord, we thank you for how much you love them, how much you cherish and adore them. You see their hurts, you see their failings, you see all the, the, the things that pull them down, Lord, but you see who they can be in you. And we ask that you just, yeah, work in their lives and show your love to these people. Use us, Lord, make us vessels that ooze love, ooze your love to them too, in your name. Amen. Thanks. We give them to you. Hold them, God. Bring them home. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. 
For more information, please visit mccroylifechurch.com.au.